Guys, as we're, as we're getting into Ephesians 5 tonight, um, I, I've been thinking through this theme that's going to pop up in our text, but also that, that keeps popping up all over the place in life. This idea of, of God's will, like what is God's will for your life? What is God calling you to? We've been doing summer team interviews this week. Maybe, maybe a question you asked yourself as we were talking about summer teams is, man, is it God's will for me to go overseas next summer? Is God calling me to that? Maybe you use that language. In some of the questions on dating, it's like, man, how do I know if God's calling me to a life of singleness or calling me to marriage? How do I know if it's God's will for me to be with this person, marry this person? How do I, how do I know? Even if you haven't put it in those terms before, maybe it actually has shown up in places like, like you sweating and stressing about your major. Man, I just, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know what path, what direction I'm supposed to take. You're trying to figure out and identify what, what is the purpose, what is the meaning, what is the, the goal of your life, what, what are you called to? And that can feel really hard to answer, right? Like that's like kind of this mystical thing, like what is God calling me to, man? Whoa. Like you're supposed to, you know, at 20, just like lock in and know 100% what God's will is for the next like 80 years of your life, right? Okay, if you're, if you're 20 and you've determined God's will for the rest of your life, like buckle up, because I don't know how that's gonna go. If I had, if I had gotten my, my 20-year-old dreams for the future as earnest and honest and sincere as they were, I wouldn't be here, right? I don't know where I would be. I would be somewhere crazy. But, but you might actually be struggling with that because you're worried that you're wasting time unless you're walking in God's will. Like that, that might be a base level anxiety existing in your life. If I'm not walking in what God's called me to, then, then, I'm, then I'm wasting my time. Even if you're not a Christian tonight, you are still wrestling with these questions like, what is my life about? What is my life for? How do I find what I'm really passionate about so I can spend my life on something that's actually worth it? You might have never used the word calling. You might not even believe in God tonight, but you actually, your life has a meaning and a purpose and you know it, but you, you might be struggling to find what that is. Even again, if you don't believe in God, if there was a God, the God of the Bible, if that God does exist, wouldn't you want to know what he has for you? Like, wouldn't you actually want the one who made you, who wired you, who designed you to, to tell you what your life is about, what it's for, why you're here? Here's the deal. Our text tonight is gonna start to show us an answer to that question. What God's will for your life is, and it might answer in some ways that are surprising, maybe even frustrating a little bit, but if we listen, if we lean in to God's word, we're gonna start to get answers that we actually need in our lives. So what's God's will for your life? What is the God of the universe calling you to? Ephesians chapter five, open it up with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have verses on screen, but I'd love if you have one to open it up so that we can, we can keep tracking through this together. So we're, we're in this letter to a church in Ephesus. We've been tracking it um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So Paul's building an argument, this, this guy that planted the church. So five, one and two, let me read this for you. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Pause there. Hey, the, the word therefore is like a trigger for us, right? It's coming in the flow of an argument, a context. Jordan preached last week and talked about kind of putting on the pads, getting in the game. God has some direction for your life to step into. But, but looking at these two verses, already we see 
Paul tell us what God's will is for us? Do you see it? Imitate God and walk in love. That's not that interesting, right? Like, that's not, that's not that clear. Like, if, I, if we close it up and we're like, all right, guys, that's God's will for your life. Go out and do that. You might end with a lot of questions, right? You might have even been hoping for something a little more spicy than that, right? Like, no, no, God, you're supposed to tell me what I'm really supposed to do. He's like, yeah, imitate me and walk in love. In fact, what, what's gonna happen in the rest of our passage is, is Paul is just gonna play out these two paths, one path of, of walking with God, imitating God, a path that looks like walking in God's will, and then another path, another path that's walking away from God, not walking in his will, not walking in his desires for our lives. Paul's gonna play these paths out, and he's gonna keep giving us these breadcrumbs, like this is how you know God's will, this is how you walk in God's will. But the base headline, Paul's point is, you should imitate God. Write that on your page. That, that's what he is trying to tell us. You should imitate God. Let's see what he says as he's drawing out these two contrasts. The first section we're going to deal with is three through six. Look at it with me. Paul says, but, but sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness, this is like, like wanting stuff that's not yours, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. We've seen a few times when he says saints, he's not talking about some special class of people. He's saying Christians, people that, that follow Jesus are now saints. They're holy before God. So he's saying these things aren't, aren't even probably named among you, let alone lived out, let alone practiced. Verse four, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. They, they don't line up with, with who you are, what your life is. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. If you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's not pulling punches when he starts, is he? <laughs> like he's, he's, he's leaning in right away and going like, okay, there is a clear difference here. Part of why he, he starts with this is because in their culture, man, these things were, were rampant, and I think that's a culture that we're, we're familiar with, aren't we? He's saying there are two paths. One path is walking the way the rest of the world does when it comes to their sexuality, when it comes to their, their stuff, their language, all of that. That's one path, and there's another path of being set apart as a saint and as holy. But as I was looking through this list, I... He says things like sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. I thought those three, I don't, I don't know how they fit together. Later he, he talks about your language and he comes back to these, these three in verse five and he says idolatry. That, what, what is he doing grouping these things together? Like is he just making kind of a laundry list and spitting a bunch of things out? No. There's actually a root that connects these things together that Paul's talking about. He's, he's talking about kind of one root that's bearing fruit in different ways. Looking through all of these things together, sexual morality, impurity, all this stuff, it's this pattern of saying, hey, what I want right now, what, what's gonna feel good in this moment, what I desire for me right in this moment, that's what I'm going for, that's what I'm gonna take up, that's what I'm gonna do. He used the language of idolatry. Someone say idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping something other than God, putting something in a place of value or worth in your life other than God. What what this list is talking about is the way that we actually value pleasure or the moment or the thing right in front of us 
more than we value God's plan. There's one path that looks like saying, hey, if it feels good now, I'm going for it. If I wanna do it, I'm, I'm going for it. I don't really care what God says. I don't really care about the consequences. I'm not thinking about that. I, I want this right now, and so I'm, I'm taking it. Idolatry, worshiping things other than God, putting them in places of value in our lives. We're saying, this is worth it. This moment of pleasure, this, this joke I'm gonna tell that makes people laugh, this is worth it, but in fact, it's a false promise. But you might even be aware of places in your life, even if you call yourself a Christian, where actually, if you really think about it, you've lived for this moment, even if you knew what God wanted for you. Like knowing his commands, but actually choosing over and over again to go back to stuff that you know, man, this isn't really what God wants, but it felt, it felt good in the moment. It felt, it felt like what I wanted, what I needed in that moment. Uh, I used to be a really bad kid, right? Like, is that a surprise to anybody? I was a pretty bad kid. I was cute for a little bit, not long, but I was cute for a little bit, but I was a bad kid, and, and I started out with a lot of lying, right? Like, dude, first grade, there's like a lost and found, and there's a toy I want, so I told them that's my toy when it wasn't. I brought it home, and my mom's like, where'd you get that toy? I was like, uh, my friend gave it to me, right? Okay, that caught up with me quick, but that was, there's like this pattern that started in my life of lying and living two different ways, Later on, that actually developed in my life where, where I became addicted to porn at a young age. And I lied to my parents and I hid stuff. And here's what happened. Uh, I got caught and I lied about it and I got away with it. Whew, so I kept going. A year later, I, I had told my parents, I'm not a Christian, I don't care. And they, they actually catch stuff I've been looking on on the computer again. Which is like, everybody in the room's like, ooh. One of the most cringy conversations, right? I'm in eighth grade. I've told my parents, I, I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God. And they catch porn on the computer, and, and here's what I did. I told them, so? I, I said, I don't care. Like, I, I want to look at this stuff. There's no good reason for me not to. Now, okay, picture this. Seriously, like, cringe with me for a moment. I'm talking to my mother, right? Ooh, I'm just thinking back to it, like, no, what? But I... I was so convinced, like, no, 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 like, I want to do this, this makes sense for me right now, nothing you can tell me is better than, than me doing what I want to do, right? This is what I want in the moment, this is all that matters, why should I care? Look at verse 6 again with me, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Talk about a son of disobedience, right? Like, literally, I'm a son disobeying. But, but here's the thing. I had all the arguments I needed in eighth grade to convince myself that, that living for this thing in the moment was better than anything else. I could, I could argue my way through that with my parents. Where, where in your life have you had all the arguments to justify living for the moment instead of living for God? Like where have you been self-deceived walking away from God's path and, and actually putting things in a higher place of worth and value in your actions than following God? Do you have arguments like me where you've justified yourself? That's not the path God has for us. That's, that's a path of living for the moment and, and living in disobedience rather than holiness. Imitate God. 
walk in holiness, walk in purity, which means often saying no to whatever feels good in the moment and saying yes to actually something that is much more eternally valuable and beautiful. The, the first category Paul gives us of imitating God, God's will in our life, the path he has for us, is this decision of putting God at the highest place of worth or putting other things, the pleasure of the moment, the, the cheap arguments we've been relying on. That's, that's kind of the first part of this thing. Let's, let's keep tracking and, and let him keep spelling out these two paths, verses seven through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, these, these sons of disobedience, the, the people that belong to the path of disobedience. For at one point you were darkness. He's talking to Christians, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He, he wants us to lean in and see, okay, what does God want? Verse 11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's kind of like a, a, an early church song about what Jesus had done. So he says, walk as children of the light. Live as children of the light. Two paths, one of light and one of darkness. Walking in the light is God's will for you. That means imitating God versus walking in darkness. So what is the path of light? Actually, Salt Leaders on Sunday, we, we talked about God's character. God's character is light. And, and when we get around him, he, he exposes stuff in our lives which leads to authenticity, right? Things exposed in our life is actually an opportunity to be authentic, to not be hypocrites, but to line up our actions and our words and not have a public persona and a private persona. Holiness. He says, look for what is good and right and true. This looks like discerning and understanding what pleases God. That's actually a, a really interesting thing. Think about this for a second. He says, as we walk on this path, as we live in the light, we actually try, we learn, in verse 10, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walking in the light, walking in obedience, allows you to understand God's will better, become self-reinforcing. So, if you wanna know God's will for your life, you begin to step into God's will and you'll understand it more. The, that, that's a crazy thing, guys. One path of walking with God in light actually leads to more understanding of what God has for you. And in contrast, the other path leads to more confusion, less certainty of what God really wants for your life. He says, try to discern, work to seek after God's heart and desires, and he's not hiding them from you. But he says, the other path is darkness. So, friends, what does the pattern of your life say about the condition of your identity? Like, when people get around you, do they experience light or darkness? He says something crazy. He says, verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, okay, Pause for a second. That could lead a lot of weird places, right? Like, if you think, okay, God's will is for me to expose darkness, I've got a demerit badge here, and if I catch you in sin, you get a demerit, right? 
I heard you were sleeping with your boyfriend. One demerit for you. I heard you were gossiping. Expose that. One demerit for you. Uh-oh. Was that a little white lie? One demerit for you. Is that what it means by expose it? Somebody say no. Okay, thank you. No demerit badges handed out, right? But, but there's something interesting that happens where as you strive to live in authenticity and live in the light, it, it actually becomes more uncomfortable for people to, to live the other way around you. Not because you're trying to make people uncomfortable, not because you're trying to shame them, anything like that, but, but because the quality of your life, the way you live, it gets uncomfortable for people to be around you. One of the most fun, enjoyable things that might happen in your life is an old group of friends that used to walk in darkness with you actually might stop wanting to hang out with you because you're not into that same stuff anymore. Now, we wanna be missional. We, we, we're not shaming people. People were actually radically attracted to Jesus because of the quality of his life. But he didn't justify their sin. He, he didn't, he didn't approve of their sin. He walked in incredible holiness and people were attracted like moths to a flame. They couldn't help themselves. But here's a question. Do people see a real difference in your life? Do they see the kind of light that, that illuminates their lives even if it's uncomfortable. Look at verses 13 and 14. Something really wild is happening here. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. That's, that's really odd. Think about verse 14. Anything that becomes visible is light. Paul is saying, when God's light begins to shine on your life and when you respond to him, he actually gives you some of this quality of being like him, of, of shining, like you reflect his light to the world around. Anything that becomes visible is light. As, as God's light shines on your life and you walk on the path of light with him, he begins to make your life more and more illuminating in dark places in the world. The quality of your love, the quality of your forgiveness, the, the quality of your compassion, the quality of your holiness, begins to reflect God's love and compassion and grace and holiness, even if in a pale way. It's not a performance, but it's a real change. Do people see real change in your life? Are you walking down this path of imitating God and he's changing you? Guys, here's another implication of this part of the path. Verse 17, don't become partners with the sons of disobedience or people walking in the dark. Your closest community, the people that you are invested in and doing life with, the people helping set your moral trajectory, the people you ask for advice, the person that you wanna date or you are dating or you dream about the future with, are they walking that path of light? Or are you partnering with someone who's trying to walk down a different path? Like that's a little, little spoiler from the late night on dating, right? Like I don't have a clear verse that says don't date non-Christians, but I have clear verses like this that say, hey, if you're trying to go towards God, it's not gonna help your walk with him to partner your life with someone who is not pointing towards God. 
That affects your dating life, but that also affects your closest community. If you're trying to walk in holiness and, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, if you go to someone like, like I used to be in eighth grade and you say, hey man, I'm struggling with purity, I don't wanna look at porn anymore, they'd be like, why? Like, like why is that a big deal? Don't worry about it, right? You can't partner with someone on the opposite path and hope to keep going in the path God has for you. Guys, God is, is light. Hear me say this. There's no hiding from him. He doesn't want a path of you pretending you have it all together and hiding your sin. He actually wants you to live as a child of the light, verse eight says, so that even your struggles, even the way that you struggle for holiness exposes what you have. You have light in relationship with Jesus. God's will for you is to imitate him and that looks like walking down the path of light, not darkness. In God there is no shadow due to turning, there's nothing to hide and the path with him looks like more and more less hiding in our lives. Okay, we, we've seen this, this root of worshiping the moment versus worshiping God. We've seen this, this path of, of darkness and hiding versus actually God's holy light exposing things in our lives. Paul is actually gonna give us one last category, verses 15 through 21. And this is like a classic weird thing in Greek. Nerds in the room, listen up. This was like one full sentence in Greek, which is kind of crazy, right? You could do that in Greek. It doesn't work in English. So it'll be a bunch of sentences. I'm not gonna read it in one breath, but imagine Paul like not lifting up the pen. Here we go. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Like, like some of the anxiety you feel about using your time well, that's actually a gift from God so that you want wisdom. This is verse 17, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God wants you to know his will. He wants you to understand what he has for you. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Part of these two paths, one is, is a path of wisdom, using the time well, walking closely in step with the Spirit, and the other one looks like foolishness. Now, th this, this section is a little bit interesting. I actually, um, if you look at verse 18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. As I was reading this, I, I remembered, actually, there was a time in my life where, where I needed to memorize this verse and hold on to it. Um, if you think about when Jesus was in the wilderness fighting against Satan, against temptation, he, he spoke back with, with scripture. There was a time in my life where this came alive for me. Um, I was in, in Germany in high school for a semester and I struggled with getting drunk, right? And, and it was actually pretty easy to get drunk there because it was legal and people loved buying drinks for the, the foreign exchange student and they were buying me expensive drinks. So I'm like, well, I mean, you paid for it. I better drink it, right? And so they, like, I would go to parties with my friends, totally legal, but people would keep trying to give me drinks. And I was convicted. Actually, one night in particular, I was walking home from a party with a friend, a good friend of mine, and I, I had too much to drink. And, and we were starting to get into a spiritual conversation, and he basically teased up for me to share the gospel with him. He's like, 
you keep talking about Christianity, like, so what do you believe? Like, what, what do you believe about Jesus that I don't have? And I, I like, I, I vaguely remember, but there, there are parts of it that are kind of seared in my brain. We sit down by the side of the road at night, and I'm trying to get my thoughts together, and it's like the volume of the Holy Spirit was just turned way down, and the volume of kind of confusion in my thoughts racing was turned way up. Like, this dude has teed up for me to share the gospel, and this is what I wanted, but I, I was too drunk to get my thoughts together to actually clearly share the hope in Jesus. I had wanted it so bad, and when God brought the moment to me, I was too drunk to take the opportunity up. So I told him, like, hey, man, can we, can we just talk about this another time? Like, I, I, just, I just can't, I, I can't figure out how to say this right now. I, and you can probably guess what happened. We tried to talk about it later. Like, I tried to, like, take advantage of the moment again, and it just never happened. Like, he, he realized, man, even if I ask this dude what he has to say, his life isn't really lined up with the things I'm asking about. God tees up this moment for me to share the gospel, and I'm too drunk to actually talk to him. Why does Paul in verse 18 contrast drunkenness or, or not being sober with being filled by the Spirit? Do you see that? That's kind of weird, right? Like, like, how are those two things on the opposite ends of the spectrum? Here's the thing, getting drunk, getting high, choosing to not be sober, choosing to be out of your rational mind is giving your flesh, your sinful self, permission to run the show. It's like turning up the volume on your old self. That's, that's why people drink, right? Like people want to lower their inhibitions. They want to feel something different. Maybe you've got friends that like, they want liquid courage. They actually want to go talk to the girl and so they're going to drink more so they can be a different person at the party. Or maybe that's why you tried weed or, or why your friends smoke. It's because, man, you've got anxieties or convictions or thoughts in your life and you kind of want those to go away for a little bit. You ju just don't want to think about them for a little bit. How about we turn the volume down on that stuff? When he says it's debauchery, to be drunk with wine. De debauchery is like excessive indulgence in the sensual. It's like excessively indulging in just what feels good in the moment. If it feels good, do it. If I want it, take it. And that's why that leads to the things that Paul talks about. Sexual morality. Crude joking. All, all of these things, they flow from that same root. Guys, getting drunk or getting high actually shuts off your ability to understand God's will because you're turning down the volume of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're saying, Holy Spirit, I, I don't want to listen to you right now. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I, I want to hear what my flesh has to say. I want to hear what that, that old part of me has to say. Like, no wonder it's hard to understand God's will when I'm telling him to be quiet. There's one path that looks like walking in the spirit, turning up the volume, sensitizing ourselves to understanding what God has for us. And there's another path that looks like turning the volume down on him and turning the volume up on whatever feels good in the moment, whatever, whatever our old self wants to do. It's not a spiritually neutral thing for you to be drunk. It's not a spiritually neutral thing for you to be high, to, to be out of your sober mind. That, that's not spiritually neutral. 
We have two paths in front of us. Imitate God, walk in his will, or walk away from his will into idolatry and darkness and our old dead self, living in the moment and missing the future that God has for you. You should imitate God. That's his will for your life. When I say, when I say you should imitate God, um, actually in a, a salt teacher's meeting, um, I got called out by Kyler in a good way. I don't like to use the word should because here's what's true in my life. Should more often has power to bring me shame than to bring change, right? Someone say should. If Michaela was here, I'd make a joke about her one time saying shoulding, but yeah, don't say it too fast, but um, she's not here, so I said that joke for no reason. That's fine. Um, wh- when, you, when you live out of a series of shoulds, does that sound like, like a thriving, flourishing life in God's will? More often that sounds like torture, right? Like if you, if you go around with this weight of just should on your back over and over and over again, man, how are you supposed to want to follow a God like that? How are you supposed to want to imitate God? How do we actually walk in this path of imitating God? I, I might have told you guys before I hate uh, chickens, right? Did I tell you that? Well, okay, true confession, I hate parrots more than chickens, right? Dude, because parrots are like chickens but on steroids because they've got those cold, dead eyes, but then they talk at you. You know what I'm talking about? You ever go to a pet shop and like you know the parrot's tracking you the entire time? There's just a soulless, feathery, feathery bag of bones that's at any moment could just fly over and say nonsense to you. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a parrot? You don't have to raise your hand. You're going to hate the rest of this if you own a parrot. I'm sorry, but I don't like parrots, right? Parrots are very good at imitating. They're amazing at imitating, right? Polly want a cracker, all that nonsense. Parrots can repeat what you're saying even though they don't understand any of it. Creepy, okay? But they can be smart enough to respond to things. Like, don't try to convince me, show me videos of like, look, this guy said this and a parrot responded. Like, okay, I get it, but that's creepy imitation, right? They don't know what's going at all, on at all. There's no like change in them. So you could talk to a parrot all day long it could imitate you all day long. You can have a nice little time of it and then you go away and the parrot is no different. They just learned a couple more tricks, right? Imitation like a parrot sucks, okay? You know who is not so great at imitating but still trying? Babies. Someone say, aw. If you're at the fall retreat, you know, I'm having a little baby. You maybe don't know I'm having a little baby girl in March. <laughs> yep. Thanks, girls. Okay. Um, so, so here's the thing, babies, babies can imitate, right? But they're kind of bad at it. Like for the first good chunk of their life, they eat and sleep and poop and cry. It's gonna take my little baby girl a long time before she learns how to say Big Papa like she's supposed to, right? It, she's just bad at imitating, I'm sorry. Like I know she's not even born, but she's gonna have to learn that. But, but even though it, it takes a baby a long time to imitate, it's actually a very different kind of imitation than a parrot, isn't it? Like, Babies don't just imitate, they develop, they change, they transform. Like a baby starts as this weird little squishy thing whose bones aren't even fully formed and can't do anything themselves. And, and one day, this is really freaky, that baby becomes an adult, right? Like when I found out we were having a, a girl, I went around the rest of the day seeing like teenage girls with their moms and I was like, <gasps> my daughter's gonna be that one day. Oh, this is weird, right? Like, like seeing grown women and being like, my, my daughter is going to be one of you. I don't understand. Like I saw you on the ultrasound and you're like, 
an avocado. I don't know how this works, right? (laughs) Babies learn to imitate over a long, long time of trial and error. But in that, they they begin to develop and and think and feel and, and, and flesh out in a very different way. My brother-in-law sent a, a, a song that his daughter actually wrote. It's like she's not that talented of a musician because she's like, you know, a couple years old, whatever. I don't know, but maybe four, whatever. But here, here's how the song goes. I love mommy. I love daddy. I love grandma. I love grandpa. Right, she's not winning Grammys, but um, nobody taught her that song. She like made it up herself, right? She, she put fresh melody and expression to her feelings. Nobody taught her that. That, that came out of, of just her love and her thoughts. A child learns to, to walk even with falling and scraping their knees and, and tumbling, but then they learn to walk and to run. They learn to, to have values and behaviors and habits developed in their family over years. They're slower to imitate than a parrot, but they're much deeper in development, right? They change who they are. Guys, God's will for you isn't to be a parrot and try really hard to have the right answers. To just work really hard to, to say the right stuff and not say the wrong stuff. He actually wants to fundamentally change you like his child. Verse one says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Even in verse eight he says, walk as children of the light, fundamental to your, your ability to obey God is your identity as a child of God. Well, when I say you should obey God, that comes with the reality that, that your relationship changes with him before your behavior changes. How do you become a child of God? Look at verse two. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the good news that before you ever could pick a path, Jesus shows up and actually dies to give you the opportunity to have a relationship with God. While you are walking in idolatry and disobedience and darkness and, and, and living in the flesh without the spirit, God stepped into flesh and said, I love you. I want you, I want to adopt you as my own. All of your sin, all of your darkness, all of the junk in your life, I see it, I know it, and I'm going to deal with it. Jesus' death on the cross was for you so that you could experience the love of God without shame, without hiding, without proving anything to him, without trying to imitate to earn or impress, but being adopted in the family as his child. Before you begin to imitate God, you need to accept God's offer to become his child. And the only way for you to become a child of God is through Jesus' death on the cross for you. Through you accepting that gift of love for you. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God for us. Verse 14 says, awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Maybe you've been sleeping your whole life. 
Maybe you thought you were awake trying really hard to impress God. Actually, you need to wake up. Wake up and accept the gift of life in Jesus. Let Christ shine on you and change who you are. God invites you to follow his path, but to follow it as a child adopted through Jesus' sacrifice. The way you get on God's path is the way you stay on God's path. The grace of God through Jesus, adoption and a new identity. So guys, God's will for you is to live like his child. That's his will for you. Your identity changed. Imitate God as a beloved child. He'll help the other details come into place. He'll help you figure out what major. He'll help you figure out who to date and who to marry, but, but begin by letting him change you as his child. There, there's a phrase I love when we preach through Acts at Veritas General obedience leads towards specific guidance. If you want to know God's specific will in your life, begin to obey what you know is generally true. Imitate him. Walk with him and and, and let him shape your discernment. So friends, where do you need to begin imitating God? Where do you need to begin actually walking down his path? Is Is it your sexual morality? Is it lining up your sexuality not with just what you desire or what feels good, even if it feels most true, but actually letting God tell you what he designed you for? Letting him tell you that in love he has a plan for your flourishing. Don't be deceived by empty words. Don't justify sin in your life. Jesus died for it, so don't minimize it and pretend it doesn't matter to God. Don't for one second do that. Do you need to begin imitating God in your language? In the way you talk about other people or you talk to other people, does your language honor God? Can people tell from the the words you say or the things that you talk about that you're a child of God? Or actually, do you sound like everyone else around you? Are you living in the light? Are you living in authenticity, even when that's not pretty? Even when it's kind of cringy? Are you living in a way that exposes darkness or is darkness really comfortable around you? Is darkness not bothered by you at all? Are you walking in the spirit? Are you listening for his voice? Have you been letting him convict you in his love and prompt you and send you out to point on his path? Or have you been lowering your guard, turning down the volume of the spirit and turning up the volume of your flesh? Are you getting drunk? Are you getting high and, and training yourself not to listen to the Holy Spirit? Are you disobeying things that you know God has clearly asked you to do? God's will for your life is really clear. He actually wants you to be a kind of person to imitate him as a child. But here's the good news. As we stumble and scrape our knees on that path, he is there in his love to pick us up. He's not waiting to love you until you figure out he loves you where you're at now and he invites you to more than you've ever experienced. As we walk with him, we'll be able to understand his will in other areas of our life. We'll find growth in our life like a child imitating our father. You'll learn to love what he loves. As you walk by the spirit, you'll find yourself changing in ways you never expected. And as you do that, your life is going to be a light to the people around you. Our lives are going to be 
like a field of stars in a dark night, shining for people to look at and see a different kind of path. A path paved by Jesus. A path we're set on by Jesus. A path we're empowered to walk in his love. Friend, you should imitate God as a beloved child. Let's pray together and respond in worship and actually invite him to do that. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite the band to come up as, as we keep talking through this. Let me pray. Father, help us. Help us walk as your children. Help us walk in your love. Help us walk as people that are, are shaped to walk in your will and the path you have for us. God, we, we need your help in that and Jesus, fix our eyes to your love and grace. Help us as we fall down and, and scrape our knees. Help us to get back up and, and respond to you in your love. We can only pray these things, Jesus, in your name, by your grace. Amen. As we respond in worship, here's what we're gonna do, guys.